The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I love talking to the podcasters, and we got a great one this week. Our guest on the program is a music marketing and branding expert who has worked with Rolling Stone, Firefly Music Festival, and Lollapalooza. Our guest is also the host of the Setup Podcast, where she interviews prominent voices in the music industry. Season two of her podcast will celebrate women entrepreneurs in music, and you can find out more about her work by visiting www.thesetupseries.com. We are happy to welcome Sydney Oberholzer onto the Break the Business Podcast. Hi, Sydney. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And oh my gosh, I love your intro. I want, I wanted to tell you that since <laughs> I've been listening to your intro. I love that. I think it's, <laughs> I love that you need to be explicit on, hey, this podcast should not replace an attorney. Well, that's something that we, uh, that, that is something that has been forged through experience. We want to make sure that the guests really understand that, that there's really no substitute for a lawyer to come in on your very specific situation because there's nothing more horrifying than a client, you know, or than any musician making a very life-changing career decision off of, I heard this on a podcast once. <laughs> Um, Jeez. And that, that being said, there's a lot of valuable information to be gained from folks like you and I that work in this space and are here to educate musicians. And so we're glad to have you as a fellow music industry podcaster who's sharing great insights. Let me ask you this, because you didn't always start off in the music industry and you didn't always start off in podcasting. You started in advertising and did a lot of really cool stuff in that space. Can you talk about your transition from advertising into music? What brought you into our neck of the woods? Uh, great question. And it's been a wild ride and I feel like it happened so quickly. Um, so yes, to your point, I went full speed ahead last summer and haven't stopped since. Um, I started at traditional advertising agencies working on, you know, commercials for TV spots and um, online ads and all that good stuff. But while I was there, I just couldn't help but to think like, I don't really care about these brands. <laughs> and I just felt like a number in the corporate world. And I, you know, I tried a couple of different jobs. I went to sales and all while throughout that process, I always requested to be on music related campaigns and tried to push the um, advertisers to incorporate some music piece because I always saw the value just as a consumer and the value as their like media agency trying to create this program for whatever product launch or whatever initiative they had. And just personally, um, whenever we did team outings, I always wanted to go to concerts. Like I was just, so I was just dubbed this like music fanatic in the advertising space here in Chicago. And so 
flash forward a couple of years and I get connected um, to this, the publisher of Rolling Stone magazine because my mentor in the industry just knew that this is where I want to be. I just didn't know where to go. So throughout my whole life going to school and everything, I just never saw a fit in music initially um, for myself. I didn't realize there's an entire business side. I, I just, so I went that like traditional route, you know, um, corporate world, what have you, all while feeling like I don't always fit in. Um, and so in my mind, I just thought the music was just the musicians. And that kind of plays into the position I am in today because now I realize there's so much more to the teams and the people that work behind the scenes than just like, you know, a musician's music. There's a lot more moving pieces as I'm sure the listeners know and like, you know, and everything. But um, yeah, so my mentor in the industry connected me to the publisher Rolling Stone and we hit it off. Like we had such a great conversation um, and there was really like, I wasn't looking for a job or anything, um, but three weeks later he called me up and he offered me a role on his um, team to help create those co-branded campaigns with advertisers on in the magazine, on their website for their events, sponsors, stuff like that. And that's what really opened my eyes to this like world, you know, like I was working with the editorial team. I was working with the video team. I was working with talent to create those, like the, the photo shoots and like the ads themselves. And I really, really enjoyed that. It, but at the same time, it was still like this corporate job. And I just, for whatever reason, just wasn't happy. I had to like convince myself every day that I worked for a cool brand, but it just felt toxic. And so that was the last time I had a corporate job. I left and decided that I want to go into the music world like head first um, and not touch the advertising piece of it. <laughs> and so I took like about six months, networked my ass off, started going to all these local productions because I thought maybe I want to be a, a producer. I even got to the point of making fake business cards. Well, I mean, business cards with the title that I want on it. And that got me my first gig. <laughs> and then that opened doors. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, it's about going outside the box, especially in music, I think, because at that time, there wasn't a whole lot of um, gig workers or people in music that had like a LinkedIn account even like, and I think now it's becoming apparent that they need that because of COVID. But at the time I didn't know where to start. So I was just passing out these business cards at events that I was going at and someone called me and obviously you have to deliver if you're going to fake uh, like a position that you are claiming. So I did. And um, then I started getting more gigs. I was doing marketing for these productions. Um, I worked for Chance the Rapper's album release party, which then opened up a lot more doors because that was more legitimate. And during that time, I kept meeting all of these people. And I'm like, God, I'm having these amazing conversations. They're amazing. I can't find them online. I'm going to start a podcast. Yeah. And well, it wasn't, it wasn't initially a podcast. It was going to be video. Um, but then with COVID, I pivoted. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I just want to add a microphone and share their experiences and in turn help music professionals and musicians in those specific topics and areas that they may need help with. And this is where I'm at today. That's really cool. There's a lot to love about that story, Sydney. Aside from just the valuable lessons that you're imparting in a story like that about making bets on yourself and faking it till you make it and the the value of networking, especially when you're first getting started and getting your foothold. There's a lot to appreciate about that story. I also just sort of loved the transition that you made from advertising into music, where at first blush, one might think, how does one get from advertising into music? But the loyal listeners of this podcast would know that there's a lot of connection points there. We've had many guests on this podcast who started out in advertising in one way or another and found their way into music because, like you, they identified the power of music to sell products. And uh, in the sync side of the music mm -hmm. industry, they saw the value there. And I love how your journey brought you to where you are today with this really cool podcast you're doing, The Setup. And over the course of this podcast, you've gotten to interview a lot of really cool music people and uh, gained a lot of great advice along the way. So can you identify one piece of advice that you heard from one of your inter interviewees that's really stayed with you and stuck with you? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think, I think especially in today's world where you may not need like labels or you can still propel your career forward as being an independent artist, you don't have to know everything. It's just very beneficial to build a team that you trust and that can, that can help you and, you know, have the same mission. And I think that's very important. Um, I think it's just really, I don't think anyone can do it without a team. So you must really take issue with the term DIY for an independent musician, right? Like you probably don't, you, you don't really appreciate or, or are fully behind the idea of a do-it-yourself musician because even the independent musicians don't do it alone. You always have the team, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. I, I, and like, you know, you know, you could do things yourself, like you don't need to hire like, you know, these big companies to do it. But I think just having at least a soundboard or someone that could provide feedback or just even like for your own mental health, like it's always good to have someone, even if it's like a mentor that maybe is not like, you know, you're, it doesn't have to be a manager, just anyone that can maybe just help push you a little bit closer to your end goal. Absolutely. So we talked about the best piece of advice you gained from hosting this podcast and talking to all these amazing music industry professionals. I want to take it in a slightly different tack now. What is the biggest preconceived notion, the biggest myth that you had about the music industry that was busted by talking with one of these music industry professionals? Maybe it was something that you thought was the case while you worked in advertising, and then you got into this business, talked to one of these interviewees and said, whoa, this person just blowed my mind. I had no idea it was actually this way. Oh, my God. That is a difficult question because I feel like there's a lot of things where <laughs> I'm like, whoa, this is insane. Um, but I think, honestly the biggest like I, I don't want to say like myth that was busted but I will tell you like the biggest like issue that I have and that blows my mind is the concept of royalties oh, like yeah. 
and I know I'm taking this a different direction, but I still cannot believe the way that things are split and all the hands in the pot and how there's no transparency. Like that still is like, you know, coming from something coming from an industry where we track everything, we track the metrics, the money, who like where everything's going and like the music industry for whatever reason doesn't always have that. And that blows my mind. Oh, it can be so confusing, Sydney. Just confusing by design. I'm going to tell you, Sydney, one of my favorite stories from law school that I think will do a a great job of articulating the point you just made and hopefully will make you laugh along the way. So I took an entertainment law class in law school, and we got a homework assignment where the professor gave us a record contract, standard record deal, and then gave us some sales data for the artist. Here's how many albums they sold. Here's how many singles they sold. And our homework assignment was calculate the royalties based on the terms of the contract. And I was like, this is going to be easy. Simple multiplication, (laughs) right? X number of units times the royalty rate, done. And It took me all weekend because the terms were so confusing and maddening and there were all these deductions and hidden costs and everything. And like, it took me all weekend. And then I finally got what I thought was the right answer on an assignment that I thought was going to take five minutes, by the way, and it took two days. But I come in with the answer and I feel so confident. And the professor asked me, what answer did you get, Ryan? And I told him the answer. And the professor makes a sour face and all the kids are kind of laughing at me. And I'm like, oh, God. And then he writes my answer that I gave on the board and then said, did anybody else get a different answer? And every hand went up and I thought, oh, God, I'm an idiot. All these smart people got the answer right and I got it wrong. And then called on another student who gave a completely different answer. And then the professor proceeded to call on every single student in the class. And every single student had a completely different answer. Some had the artist making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Some had the artist owing $100,000 to the record label and everything in between. And we're all fighting with each other and arguing. And then we all just go to the professor and we're like, what's the right answer? And the professor says, I don't know. That's the whole point. He's like, hell if I know. I've been, I've been giving this homework assignment for 10 years and I still haven't gotten two students who give me the same answer. So yeah, these things are complicated by design. Yes, that is incredible. That is like so crazy to me. And then it makes you think at the labels or whoever is handling the terms in the contract, like, do they even know or are they making it up? Who facts, who fact checks them? (laughs) Exactly right. And it's built that way by design. There's actually a really good, um, because we talked about how confusing the terms can be. And then you also implied earlier, Sydney, about how unfair to the artist these royalty terms can be. And there's this great royalty calculator that's floating around Twitter right now. Uh, it was posted by Sherry Hu and a bunch of other music journalists where it's just a little uh, app on your phone or whatever where you just enter in you know, what your royalty split is and then how many streams the artist gets and then how much money was spent on marketing and everything. And then you get to find out how many streams it takes to, for the artist to make even $1 in royalties. And so I was playing with the number and uh, numbers, and in a lot of standard deal terms that I've seen in contracts before, you're talking about an artist needing like a billion and a half royalty or streams, not even joking, to make a dollar from their record deal. And that's how just fundamentally broken the whole system is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's insane. Can you can you send me that? Um, app or, or that website, yes. I would love to play around with that. Well, only if you're ready to get really sad. 
if you just if you just want to be broken by uh, how crazy this industry is, yes, I'll be happy to send it to you. Let's turn it back to your podcast because I want to talk about ha- happier matters because royalty terms are just depressing and your podcast makes me happy. In season two of your podcast, you're going to be focusing <laughs> on female music entrepreneurs, which is something we love to talk about on this podcast. We are all about female musician and female music industry professional empowerment. And that seems to be right where your podcast is heading. Can you talk a bit about why you're focusing on female music entrepreneurs in season two? Absolutely. Well, um, if you, so I've had about 20 episodes so far for season one, and I took a look at the list and realized, hmm, it's about 90% male. And then I look at my like, you know, guest submissions and it's like pretty much all men and during my season one, so that that was a no-brainer. I'm like, okay, I can't wait to have more conversations with women. Then my second like indicator um, for the entrepreneur part is that I just, out of all these conversations, I've realized that artists should think of themselves as a business and that, you know, by, by learning from other entrepreneurs in various areas within the industry can be very beneficial. And I just thought there was such a cool overlap in music and entrepreneurship because it's, it's just, there's so many different avenues and their paths are incredible. I think you can learn so much um, from someone who has just built their personal brand so well. Um, and then the, and, and also one thing, I knew that women in the industry um, is a, such a small percentage. I had no idea that women entrepreneurs in the industry is even, even just a small sliver. So it's been very interesting, exciting to come across those that I could share their stories and amplify their voices. And I know it will help a lot of people. So I'm like super excited about that. And I'm excited to hear more about it. And I think what you're going to come to discover as you really spend season two shining the light on some of these amazing female music entrepreneurs is just how amazing their stories are, how much skill they have, the incredible things they've accomplished despite every ounce of adversity that the music industry seems interested in throwing at them. It's going to it's gonna blow you away, and I know it's going to really make your listeners happy. So I'm thrilled that you're taking the podcast in that direction. And if you need any recommendations for fantastic guests that I can throw at you, it would very much be my pleasure. I'd love that. Thank you. <laughs> right on. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.thesetupseries.com. You definitely don't want to miss season two of this podcast. Sydney, this has been a treat. I've enjoyed this. We've shared some laughs. Uh, I've definitely become a little bit smarter from talking to you, which I appreciate. Let me ask you this last question before we let you go. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Yes, I do, Ryan. Um, I actually was just talking to my sister about this today. Um, I am so incredibly, like, just so, I can't even think of the word, but my background's in marketing. So I think there are certain ways that artists can, um, the strategies that they could create to propel their career forward. But please, for the love of God, do not send your music, your link to your music without any context to anyone. You will 
to waste time. You will like deplete your mental health because people may not be answering. So please, please either actually take a look at who you're targeting and get to know them, have a couple of soft touches, and then talk about your music because we all know it's coming anyways. So please just don't make that your first connection with everyone. Like get to know them more. Amen. Just take a little bit of effort to personalize that communication. We've had a few guests talk about that recently, and it bears repeating. So I'm glad that you brought that here. Sydney Overholzer is our guest. You can find out more about her work by visiting thesetupseries.com. Check out season two, where she's going to be celebrating women entrepreneurs in music. That's always something we all want to hear more from. Sydney, thank you so much for joining us this week. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Ryan. This was, the pleasure was all mine and I really enjoyed it. And yes, if anyone is, if anyone's looking to connect, I'm very accessible. So right on. hit me up if you need anything. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much, Sydney. And thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast. Mm-hmm.